Welcome to episode 357 of The Blind Leading the Blind. Sounds like whenever your cable provider gives you the password to the Wi-Fi they set up for you, it's like three random words that don't really go together. Mouse poop. Blood feud. Beautiful. Minecraft. Rust. Vikings. Griefer. Frequent. Proheim. Echo Public Radio. Demons. Cinnamon. Email. Smack. The 90s. Starcraft. Oh, yeah, like surfboard building lunch. Welcome to Midcast, the podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. This is episode 357. Livestream information is at mintcast.org slash livestream. We're in the Mintcast channel in IRC at irc.spotchat.org. If you see something you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. Join us live on YouTube. Post at the Mintcast subreddit. Chat with us on Telegram, Discord, Facebook, or post directly at mintcast.org. This is Leo, and with me today is Joe. Hello. Tony Hughes. Hi, guys. Josh. Hey, how you doing? Moss. You betcha. Bo. Hey there. And Mike. Hey, hey. I think we're one less than a full house. Awesome. We're recording on Sunday, March 21st, 2021. First up in our wanderings, I do a little scripting. Joe drops a laptop. Moss is feeling phony. Tony walks a thousand miles. Josh visits Piggly Wiggly. Bo battles trolls. Mike gets a new to you, cute to you. <laughs> ah, that one was funny. In the news, <laughs> new LibreOffice and Audacity. 7-Zip is native. Calamaris can use more butter, and a new kernel is coming. In security, how easy it is to buy up your information. In our intersection, we answer the question, what's missing? And dive into the world of Arch. And finally, the feedback and a couple suggestions. accomplished one whole thing, but it was uh, it was something that I promised. I promised last episode that I would I would come bearing scripts, and I didn't have it. Uh, I didn't promise it would be here last time, but I did mention that I would have a script that would back up and restore. Well, actually, it was just back up your home folder, but I went I took it a step further and allowed it to restore as well. This is not a smart script. It, it does not make every single check in the entire world to make sure that you're doing things safely. It'll just splat it right on top of your stuff. So, you know, um, you know, use it only if, if, uh, if you know what's going to happen. But this script is actually kind of interesting. I use it now myself. Uh, and it will back up your home folder, including all your dot .files, into a GZ, XZ, BZ2, or 7-zip archive. Your choice. You run the script and it asks what, what you want. After you have a backup, and let's say you do dumb things like I do and, I don't know, delete all of your dot .files because you fat-fingered a command. I don't know. Maybe that totally happened. I don't know. Maybe it didn't. Uh, this script will quite literally just, you know, from the moment you took that backup, it will put all the files back just as the way that they were. Uh, so as you're going through the script, you run the script, and it asks you there are like five different uh, ways to back up your home folder and one option to restore. If you press the restore button, it will go through your uh, temp directory, which is where it puts the backups. It will go through there, find one, and it goes in the order of GZ, XZ, BZ. So it will find them in that order. Whichever one it finds first, that's the one it restores. 
it will restore all of that immediately into your home folder. The restore. Does it nuke first? Uh, I don't know what you mean by that. It, it well, quite when literally you're restoring, takes... does it get rid of everything that is currently there, all the changes that were made, and then restore the old stuff only? So it get will... rid of everything and then put in the new, the old stuff. Here's what it does. It takes the files out of the backup and overwrites everything in your home folder with those files. So, it, I mean, essentially what you're asking is, does it, does it like undo your stuff? And it does. Because, yeah, it clobbers. Actually, here is the actual okay. Linux word for it. It clobbers any existing file that is, that is named the same as one, the one in the backup. So, I mean, right. it quite literally is. It will get rid of the um, same named files. Correct. And overwrite them with the old one. Yep. If you but had it before, it you'll have it now. get rid of all the named files that didn't have a match in the um, archive? No, no. If there's a new file there, it's still going to be there. Yep. Yeah. Okay, you're you're responsible saying. for going uh, cleaning up your your business if uh, yeah if it wasn't part of the backup in the first place. Yep. It'll clobber it otherwise, which is I mean what I was looking for because really the reason that I wrote the script was because I will I will you know go into a particular file or whatever and make a change and if I don't want to have to write down every change that I made on that particular file, I'll just take this backup first make that change, reboot, or, you know, restart whatever service. And if it doesn't work, I'll just restore the backup. I mean, nothing else would have changed in that moment because uh, I'm testing all that stuff anyway. Like I said, it's not a smart script. I mean, certainly there are probably a million other solutions out there that are better than this, but it works for me. If you're interested, um, the whole reason I wrote, uh, well, half the reason, half the reason I wrote this script was to test out my local Git-T instance. And so that's where it lives. If anybody cares, I've got a GitHub at A, it's Leo, and uh, I can post it there if anybody is interested. Uh, but yeah, you know, if you're interested, let me know. I'll post it there. Otherwise, I'll probably just keep it to myself. Anyhow, that was, that was about as fun as it got for me over this past couple of weeks. Um, so, Joe, what have you been up to? I had posted some pictures on the uh, Telegram about one of the one more headsets that I was working on, and people seem interested, so I'm bringing it to the show. Um, one of the headsets, the right side, the cable the, with the MMCX connector on it just started deteriorating, which was part of the reason why I kept having to make it shorter and shorter and reconnect and redoing all the soldering. So I, I took the driver end apart, which I, it's not the first time I've taken a driver end apart to do a fix, but this is the first time I've done a full cable replacement on the inside doing that. And I pulled the old one all the way through. And put in another one. Um, the first one I tried was some uh, pretty heavy cable, but it just wouldn't fit through. So I took apart a different old headset that I had no use for and slid that through. Now, it was one with um, two ground connections and then, you know, the, the left side and a mic connection. So I was able to double up the wires there. So I think I got a really good connection on both ends. And this one should hopefully last a whole lot longer. And if I shorten it up some, it's not going to hurt my feelings. I can always replace the cable again. That 5285 tablet that um, I talked about on last show, I wasn't able to really get anything working on it. Um, despite trying to figure out what needed to re be replaced, I, I know it's one of the surface mount components, but I don't have the proper tools uh, to remove and replace those. And I know the area that it's in. I also don't have the replacement parts. Uh, so instead, what I did was I ordered a replacement motherboard. It was the i3 version instead of the i5 version. 
but it was only 60 bucks to try it out. So I did that. It worked. Uh, and I'll get to that in just a second. I'm, I'm eventually going to order one with the specs that I want or, well, instead I ordered a 5290. Um, my analysis of the price performance leads me to believe that it is the current winner for value when it comes to CPU performance. The 7000 series doesn't provide much of a difference in performance for a very large bump in price when it comes to tablets. And the 5290 has double the performance of the 5285 for only like a marginal price difference. If you find one that's used and maybe needs a little bit of fixing. I also ordered a 2230 SSD for $15 that should add a lot of high performance hard drive space to the tablet for a, a similar price to the much slower micro SD. I may also throw in whatever micro SD I have sitting around. I got a couple of uh, 64 gigs floating around. The one that I ordered, I think 256 gig plus the 128 plus another 64. For a tablet, that's a whole lot of storage. Now that new motherboard, it was easy enough to put in and it turns on. But the screen is actually bad. I, I, I replaced the, the cable that goes from the motherboard to the screen, and I'm still getting lines in it. Um, so the plan is to uh, repurpose it um, along with the USB-C adapter to work as a set-top box for my living room. Problem is, and this is a problem that will probably come back and haunt me later, is that replacement screens for these cost 150 bucks, even used ones. And... Uh, that's pretty rough considering that's like, you know, most of the price of the device anyway. Right. Pine 64 has been having a lot of trouble getting parts lately and the screens are the worst. That 5285 that I bought off of eBay, I might end up having to put the uh, broken i5 board in it and sending it back to the guy because despite the fact that um, the return is completely closed and I thought the guy didn't want it, he sent me a message. Hey, do you have a shipping number for this? Okay, you want me to send it back? Let me go see if the uh, shipping manifest is there, the shipping label that I need to print out. I go click on it on eBay, and, you know, the message is there. Here's the shipping label. I click on it, and it says, this is already closed out. The buyer's already paid. There's nothing more that you need to do. So uh, I'm a little stuck there because the guy didn't give me an address. He said, just talk to eBay, and they should be able to get you that. And there's no way for me to contact eBay, and the only thing they want to say is, this is closed, it's not our problem anymore. I'll talk to the guy again, and if he gives me the address, I'm probably going to send it back to him because, yeah, he did give me my money back, so I don't mind. I'm thinking about writing a buyer's guide for Windows tablets that seem to have a good record of running Linux or could be made to work with a little bit of work. There was somebody, I think, in Telegram, maybe, that was asking about, um, can you run Linux on a tablet, and which good ones are there out there? So, yeah, I, there's at least one person out there that would really want to want to read something like that. Okay. Right. Okay, yeah. I've been getting a lot of questions on the Dell 2 and one that Josh gave me as far as how it works on a touchscreen and as a tablet and whatnot. So, there are a lot of people, and I've heard you talk about problems you've had with various Dell tablets in particular, and that might have something to do with yeah. how my two-in-one is working. Yeah, there are small problems with the Dells, but overall the Dells seem to like be the most out of the box, ready to go. A lot of the problems you heard me talking about um, when we first like started the show was when I was still w using the Asus Transformer line. 
I switched from the Asus Transformers over to the Dell Venues, which, yeah, small things here and there, but after a couple of kernel updates, everything worked fine. And then now with the um, Latitudes, I haven't had a whole lot of time to test yet, so I can't really say what all is working and what doesn't work. Now, I think I mentioned last time, the only thing I noticed was that the uh, touch wasn't rotating when the screen would rotate. So that's actually something that's easy to fix with a bit of scripting. Well, I, I say easy, but yeah, the hardest part of it is really finding the output from the sensors and verifying what changes to where when you rotate it X amount. It is possible to do. I'm considering doing an article, a full-on article, and I probably will now, uh, just with my experiences on it. My only problems with it is an article like that would only be good for a year or two, other than like the fundamentals of it, what to look for, and and what to search for to find out whether or not it's going to do what you want. But moving on from tablets, I got wrapped up in the headphone cord that was attached to my gaming laptop that's in the living room. Uh, the laptop ended up on the floor. I mean, like crashed onto the floor, but thankfully I haven't been able to find any damage on it. Uh, the bezel came off a little bit around the screen, but I pushed it back together and it snapped right back in and that's working fine. However, the cable for my 99 Neos was damaged and a new cable costs about 20 bucks. I am gonna fix the old one and I did buy a new one as well because you can't have too many cables. Um, it's a four-pole connector, and in the past, I haven't had much luck getting those to work correctly doing the repair. But um, I was able to get some practice in recently and did a fairly good job and was able to pick up uh, two Razer Kraken Pro V2s and an Xbox headset for free from Facebook Marketplace because the last person that had tried to do the jack replacement on all of them gotten the cabling, had gotten the cabling wrong. Um, they did a... It was some pretty solid soldering work. It's just a couple of the wires were in the wrong positions. I have been able to get one of the razors working like new by fixing that work that was already done. And that was just basically moving, well, there's more involved, but moving one wire from the mic position to a ground position and everything works, including the microphone. Man, the the laptop thing, uh, uh, I hate that feeling oh, that dude. you get immediately the, the after, like, before it even hits the ground like that that feeling where you you're just you're it's it's over there it goes goodbye laptop right, <laughs> right. That, that's, so, no that schrodinger's feeling when you're looking at it and it's on the floor and, and you haven't uh, opened it up yet and you haven't tested anything yet oh, or looked, yeah. and you don't know if it's broken or not well, so it's, it's not broken it's, if you don't turn it on right well right. In, the, in that moment it's both broken and unbroken <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> oh man so was that laptop was it all solid state like ssd and everything no, except fans no. i guess um it's got a solid state but it's also got two spinning discs in it and, and yeah and everything i can't find anything wrong with it um i've used both the, both the spinning disc card drives and the ssd um i i've rehooked something into the three the 3.5 millimeter port because um like the 99 neo cable came part way out right before it hit the floor and that's oh. how it ended up bent at a 90 degree angle oh wow so yeah um, wow well good luck i hope those drives don't you know give up the ghost in the next day or two yeah they shouldn't uh it's been almost a week now so that's cool nice 
I ended up replacing the battery in my uh, Bluetooth wired mechanical keyboard, the one with the uh, hot swappable keys that everybody loves the sound of in my other studio, in, in my main studio. The battery that was in it wasn't holding a charge for very long, and that would make the Bluetooth connection to the laptop very wonky after only a short period of time. Um, it seems like the issue was an aging battery, but I did also replace that 750 mAh battery with a 4000 mAh battery. So um, it, it shouldn't be a problem moving the larger capacity with the lower power charger. It'll just take a lot longer to charge. I mean, uh, I had it hooked up. It took almost 20 hours to fully charge that battery. But, uh, you know, slow charging is supposed to be better for the batteries anyway. And, man, that, that battery should last for a month before I need to recharge it again or more. Yeah, I, I tend to uh, keep my phones on. So I've, I've got a few different charges around here. I've got some fast chargers and stuff like that. But I think when I'm just sitting there on the computer or, you know, not doing a whole lot or not really using my phone, I'll find the slowest charger in the house and then just let it trickle charge. And because, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's not like the battery will die uh, right then and there or anything like that. So, yeah, for battery health, I, I do the slow charges when I can. Yeah, and that that's, that's really all I got. Uh, Moss, what have you been up to? Well, I've been up to typing more notes, actually. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Been an hour here and there getting the Zia 800 up and running. I met with complete success on the 13th dual booting Linux Mint 20.1 Mate and Windows 10 Pro. I still need to install and configure Cody for her, and she still has some configuring to do. She continues to use her T430 exclusively. I have not seen her turn the Zia 800 on to this point. She blushes and goes silent when I ask her why not. I have a problem. I have one swap partition on my Kudu, and every time I install a distro, that distro finds it and renames it so other distros can't find it anymore. This makes for a really slow boot, except for the latest installation. With help from Londoner, I tried to delete Mint's use of the swap partition and install a swap file. The attempt failed, and I had to do a complete install. Even so, I learned enough to get it right this time, so now I have one fewer distro looking for the swap partition, seven to go. I included in the show notes the information I got from Londoner. I don't know if we want to discuss that, but I'd rather move on myself. Anyone up for that? I have a quick question about okay. it. So you said that it renames it, renames it, and it's in your FS tab as the UUID or, or based on the... The, the, the UUID changes when whenever someone else uses uh, installs and and attaches to that swap file. Yeah, because it formats that swap partition and gives it a new UUID. Yeah. Oh wow. Yep. The problems so, multi booting. I mean, to be honest, <laughs> I mean Moss, just why don't you just make a two gig swap partition on every? I don't know. Give like on every install. I, I, you're using one disk, so I know it's like really difficult. Well, I but, was thinking of just creating I mean, swap part. If he does that, one for each partition, that's only two gig in size. If It'll work if he only has two gig of RAM, but um, he won't be able to use, what? what is it, the hibernate function? Moss, well, how often I, do you hibernate? I don't hibernate. I'm going to guess zero. A zero. I, exactly. I, have, a, I have 16 okay. gigs okay. of RAM. Uh, I never use the swap file uh, or a swap partition, but I was thinking I could just make a bunch of little 16 gig swap partitions. It's a one terabyte uh, hard, uh, SSD is big enough. 
and just make one swap partition for each file. That was one way to fix it. But the other way is to just delete the swap file or delete all mentions of use of the swap file and uh, swap partition and let the distro say, oh, there's no swap partition. I'll just make a swap file. Yeah, I think, I mean, a swap file's okay as long as the install installer is aware that you are doing mm-hmm. it. Um, I mean, but yeah, I mean, honestly, that that's the easiest way to do it because it'll grow as you need. But yeah, I don't know. If, it, if it's just, if it's looking for a partition, I would just create a small swap partition because you will likely not use it and just have it. I guess. I mean, keeping it small so it doesn't well, bother whatever you as I far do as like goes, that, but... I will have to reinstall everything to get it to name that or or get that really long, difficult to type name and change it in each and every uh, FS tab. <laughs> right. And um, in it, RD in. Uh, oh, this is utopic. Anyway, uh, <laughs> mentioned that you could put a put the swap file on the USB. And it, it would it that actually reminds me of uh, a Windows technology called ReadyBoost that they used to use a long time ago in Windows eight, seven, and eight, maybe. Yeah. And I mean, it, it worked. And honestly, if you're not writing to swap a lot, and with sixteen gigs of RAM, I can't imagine that you are. Uh, you probably wouldn't even notice. Yeah. So I don't know. Swap file might be the ticket, but well, uh, if anyone wants to know. see the uh, the information I used with Londoner. To totally dick up my system and have to reinstall, I've got it in the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) I got a new phone yesterday, a Google Pixel 3a XL. I charged it up and was going to root it and put Lineage OS on it before using it. But as soon as I turned it on, it started installing Android 11, which I've never gotten close to. The phones that we've had were running nine. I caved... I've moved all my files over, which require the use of my Wavelink toasters. Pixel does not accommodate SD cards. I will, however, go ahead and put Lineage on my old Moto X4, and we'll make that available for use as a business phone for AWH, which still hasn't taken off, but we're being promised a lot of things. I've been keeping NeoFetch data on every installation I do on every machine I own and updating it as needed. The file is available on our Telegram and Discord groups, or you could just ask me for it. The result shows how much memory is used by the system with nothing running except terminal and NeoFetch and makes a good baseline for deciding which distro to use according to your system's amount of memory. That's about all it's good for. If you've got two gigs of RAM on that computer, then maybe you'll want to use these ones that have, that use less than half, of, half a gig of uh, RAM when they booted. We're getting ready for another exciting episode of Distro Hopper's Digest scheduled for March 31st. For the first time since episode one, our current episode 20 is our most viewed episode at 781, with episode 19 next at 745 and episode 18 in third at 727. That's pretty cool. What uh, what distros are you guys going to go for on this next one? Uh, I think I'm talking about that later on. In fact, my next paragraph. <laughs> okay, cool. Sweet. I've managed to successfully install three distros this month. And instead of reviewing more than one, our Telegram group voted on it and picked Magia 8, which I had hinted earlier I might be reviewing. I think Dale is going to be doing uh, Debian Unstable. This means I know what I'm reviewing for April as well, also based on the votes and comments. I want to say Debian Unstable and DevWan un- Unstable are very similar. And it turned out, so we did uh, Nitrix for Linux user space, and DevWan Unstable was interesting uh-huh um maybe, maybe we'll get i don't know i mean everything everything was nice and new like almost arch new and that was kind of we can cool. talk to dale about dev one yeah yeah cool 
It's time to get your votes in on Distro Madness round three. Voting will close this Friday before moving on. Uh, the voting is for round two, no, thought, and then was, we'll move on to round. I, oh, round well, I don't know. Anyhow, we're finishing up one round on Friday and starting the next one. <laughs> uh, cool. Click on the link. Yeah, click, click on, on the link. link. Uh, there were some interesting upsets in round two. Yeah, I think it is round three. Okay, so so this goes to a three, and this goes to a four. So voting will close this Friday before moving on to round four. There were some interesting upsets in round two. We're getting a lot of participation in this fun little diversion. We would like to encourage you to become a member of the site. We have some plans in the works for making additional features for members only. And membership is, of course, free. I can't imagine why CentOS lost to Arch. Why in the world? <laughs> so it's going to be interesting, though, because uh, you see Arch is going up against Manjaro XFCE. What do y'all think is going to win there? have no idea. Because mm. those By are very way, similar, I, don't I guess. Run I mean, Arch. it depends on yeah, <laughs> how, how tinkery you are. Well, actually, for this episode, I'm, you didn't? You, did, you quit I on quit. Well, oh, we'll get into that later. All right. In my okay. reading, Dresden Fights On, we're chapter 32 of Small Favors, and we've just been gifted a complete collection of the Expanse novels and shorts, as well as the rest of the Codex Alera collection. So we've got more to read than we can possibly get around to. I'm talking Suzanne into letting me read a chapter from different books on the same night. She'll have to adjust to which book we're on. Yeah. Anyhow. You might enjoy Codex Alera. It's pretty good, especially like the first two books. Well, there's six so far, so you're saying we're going to fade out on our enjoyment about There won't three? be anymore. <laughs> no, it's the the first read-through is good on all of them. It, it's the rereadability that you kind of lose with the later mm. books. Well, that's it for me. How about you, Tony? I've been doing lots of walking just recently. Uh, Monday the 8th and Tuesday the 9th of March, me and my wife went for two long walks. Uh, so I, I did about tw um, oh, getting on for 20 miles in two days, which was uh, for me is very good. And for anybody, My... that's very good. That's a lot of walking. <laughs> no, for me, it's very good because uh, over the last four years, I've had two periods of uh, ill health where I could hardly walk a few steps, let alone. No, that, that's good for anybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, my wife's been doing one of these virtual online uh, walking challenges and has just completed that. She joined one that uh, was walking from Land's End to John O'Groats, which was 874 miles. And she completed that about two or three weeks ago. So she was going to sign up for another one. And she said, why don't you join me? So I've now signed up for a walk from Mizzen to Malin in Ireland which is from the southern coast to the northern coast, which is 360 miles. I'm hoping to get a t nice shiny t uh, medal and a T-shirt out of it at the end of it, like my wife got for her first challenge. Now, quick question. <laughs> How on. do these virtual challenges work? Well, I've put a link in the show notes to the one I'm on. What you do is you, uh, they have a map up where you can log your daily mileage um, and you can do as much or as little as you want, as long as you complete it within uh, the particular one I'm on is within six months of starting. Um, so uh, I've done all right. I've, uh, I'm averaging just over eight miles a day at the moment since I started it on Wednesday, which is quite good. 
I haven't logged today's mileage yet, so I can't tell you what position I currently am out of the uh, 500 or so people that have already started. Now, is this just, um, you know, we, we trust you to enter in the correct mileage, or is this... You put proof up by posting uh, an, a screenshot of your walk logger. So if you've got one of these uh, apps that uh, logs your walking, your steps, or you can uh, use your Fitbit um, thing. Some people use Strava, but then you've got to log uh, each of your walks, and you can only log your mileage once a day. So I tend to use a, a step per recorder. Um, and then at the end of the day, I'll uh, screenshot that and use that as my evidence, which they ask you for. Is that okay? Yeah, cool. To move on, I've not talked about it for a while, but I've been doing some die-cast restoration work. Uh, over the uh, winter and the early uh, part of the year, I've been uh, preparing castings for repaint. Uh, it's been quite cold here in the uh, UK, so painting in the outside workshop at that time was uh, not particularly advisable because uh, cold weather doesn't make it easy to get a good paint result. So I've been dismantling and uh, paint stripping the castings, etc., drilling and tapping out the uh, post ready to re uh, reassemble. Uh, but last week, the weather warmed up a bit, so I was able to... Uh, paint and reassemble a couple of uh, castings, which I'm actually looking at in front of me at the moment. <laughs> and finally, I nearly missed the show this week because you lot over there decided to change your clocks. Yeah, we just we no do it at random times. Old me. Yeah, <laughs> we just do it randomly. I think we just pick a month and just say, hey, guess what? Move your clocks yeah, this way yeah. for some reason. Yeah. I'll still go forward till next week. Uh, I anyway, hate it. To I echo it. another podcast, I blame Leo. We all I'll do. Take it. It's I'll his take demons. It. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's me anyway. Uh, Josh, what have you got? So Bo and I, we recorded our other podcast, uh, Crowbar Colonel Panic. We got episode three, <laughs> and it should be uh, coming out in a podcast podcatcher near you soon, hopefully. Um, or you can you can even get the live feed on um, YouTube. It, should be still there. Hold on. Why, why do you say? Why do you say? Hopefully, like like it's going to explode in transit. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I, I'm feeling the pressure there. I'm like, all right, I'll get no. on it. I'll get on it, I Josh. I all just, right. I just cover all my bases. You never know what might happen. Yeah. All, all Bo has to do is like shake the fireside tree, and it just works. <laughs> yeah. I have to uh, cut out the parts where I sounded like an idiot. I, I you say there's I went no back show and this time. To it and I. <laughs> Yeah, there was one part where um, I said something about uh, we were reading something and it had to do with the months of the year. And I, I got my months mixed up and I was like, oh, crap. So I'm deciding whether I want to go cut that out or, or just leave it in and I'll just look like a fool. So we'll see. We'll see how funny it, it, it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so, yeah, we got that out. But, yeah, I'm worried. If, can't wait for it to come out. And uh, Linux Mint, for me, is the champion of Linux gaming still. I haven't found anything better. I've tried at least with NVIDIA graphics. I should I should put a little asterisk there. Well, I did some distro hopping. Yeah. So you had trouble with Endeavor, correct? Yes. I'm gonna get into the details of that once we get down sort to that I. part. Gotcha. Okay. But I also okay. how do you how do you guys break it? Like I don't understand. It breaks itself. <laughs> it, <laughs> it breaks itself. No, it yeah. Dependencies. Works perfectly for me. Library dependencies. 
I think I probably talked the most trash about Arch, yet I'm the only one that it didn't blow up on. Well, I I installed Arch, um, uh, what do you want to call it? Just regular Arch, much easier than Endeavor. Like, I shouldn't say install it, but once it's up and running, I can do everything. But with Endeavor, I don't know why I was having so many issues. It's, I don't know. It was just, it was just crazy. But anyway, I'm going to talk about that later. Right now, I'm going to talk about OpenSUSE Tumbleweed, which is probably my next best distro next to Mint for gaming because I've tried I've tried a lot of different distros with my NVIDIA card, and the only problem that I saw with OpenSUSE Tumbleweed once I got everything configured was the kernel changes so often that NVIDIA can't keep up with it, and then you have problems with the screen actually coming on when you reboot your system after an update. But other than that, it was it was so close to Mint. It, it, there was there were still some issues, but I could probably use it if Mint had any issues and I wanted to go to something else. Um, have you tried Ping Guy yet? Uh, no. <laughs> what is that? It's an OS. No, I haven't. It's a Linux distro. Check out Ping Guy because it's supposed to have like everything pre-built into it. It's a Heavyweight distro, mm-hmm. but it's supposed to have all your bases covered, especially for gaming. I have heard some people talk about Salix also. Okay, well, I'll have to check that out. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll have to uh, check those those guys out. Um, Yeah, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Linux Mint has everything pretty much there, as for what I need, at least. I mean, maybe not for some, you know, stuff with wine and whatnot, but with Steam and everything, that's there, and, and everything works great as far as that goes with Proton. Mm. It it works kind of. Oh well, that's true. <laughs> I forgot about um, <laughs> your little kerfuffle there. <laughs> yeah. But that was my fault though. That was my fault. I shouldn't have told you to put that option in there. I just I thought it was funny that I'm so bad at at PC gaming, which I which I fully admit and I think I admitted on my first episode, but I'm so bad at it that Josh recommended that I that I change my online name from Grouchy M to Grouchy AF. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, Oh, yeah. Your problem was uh, turning on gaming mode. Yeah. To play something that didn't really need it. Right, right. Yeah, 19.3. Yeah, I think 19.3 doesn't have it installed by default. I think you have to install it. So when you tried to use it, it just didn't start the game. (laughs) I'm guessing that's what happened. It seemed like it. As soon as I took that out, everything booted immediately up. Which was good because I was getting kind of worried that I, you know, did something wrong. Which I did, but he fixed it, so that's good. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah. Anyway, other than gaming, which I'm on Mint now, and I've, I'm going to stay on that for a long time for my gaming rig at least. But other than gaming, I am going to officially use DD and pipe it through PigZ for all of my backups that I need to just image a drive because I, I know you can do it with ButterFS send receive. But when I tried to restore from that, it wouldn't boot. It wouldn't load the kernel. I think something with the permissions in the files happened, or maybe I had to update Grub somehow, but I just I couldn't get it to boot. So I don't know what was wrong with that. But I know when you just DD it and then compress it with PigZ, it, you can just throw it on and it'll work every time. I've never had a problem with that. It's slower, but it's definitely never had a problem with me. So. I'm going to keep that as my backup from now on until I figure out ButterFS send receive a little more. Maybe, maybe then I can get into it. 
So I got a new audio interface, which I had some issues with, and is why I had to stop my... Well, I didn't stop the recording. It stopped itself, and then I had to restart it. That's so, what happens when you restart Pulse, man. It breaks yeah, everything. Yeah, I was reading something on there, and I just kind of typed the command and did it, and then I'm like, oh, whoops, I forgot about that. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, Every <everyone>. time. <laughs> I'm also getting a new mic because I'm still not satisfied with the quality of this mic, and I've been doing a lot of research on this mic that I have now versus the one I am getting, and I can definitely tell that it, it, it is better with the mic that I'm going to be getting, which is the Audio-Technica AT2020. So the one thing that worries me about that one is it's a, it's a, a what is it, compressor? Is that what it was? Con- uh, condenser. 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 Condenser, that's the yeah. word. I, I am a little so, worried about that, but I'm going to yeah. mitigate that with some curtains um, and possibly blankets around me to, oh, to okay. help that. I'm going to get some, some rods and hang them um, from my ceiling. The mic is always Got better it. on the okay. other side of the room. Trying now, to make this as good as possible. <laughs> well, Mike's mic is uh, is something that I'm interested in too. So yeah, uh, we're we're gonna find out real quick how good that AT2020 is. I'm I'm interested. And it says 2020, but it's actually it actually was debuted in like 2016. So that's a little misleading. Yeah, it's a model <laughs> number. Right? It's not a year. Yeah, number. I, I see people use it a yeah. lot. Right, right. Yeah, um, if you've got a quiet room or if you've got a room with just crap all over the walls, then uh, you know uh, condensers tend to be really really good. I mean. Better than dynamics, I think. You don't have to push them as hard gain-wise and all that other fun stuff. That's my yeah. thing right now. With this thing, I'm pushing it. I have I have Pulse Audio set to 158, or no, 153%, oh, wow. and I have this turned up to about 3 o'clock, which is almost all the way up. Yeah. So When you switch yeah. to this condenser mic, hopefully you'll be able to have it so that your gain is like on one or less. That's what like, I want. Yeah. Like if I put my gain oh, on yeah. one right now, you won't even be able to hear me. <laughs> and that yeah, will with, help combat the room noise, but especially if you treat the room. Right, yeah, I'm definitely going to treat it because I, I want to get good audio out of this. Yeah, the condensers that I've had, I mean, yeah, I turn it up to maybe 20, 25% on um, audio interfaces and they're good, but yeah, the dynamics, I think I'm I'm at ooh, 90, 95% somewhere, somewhere in that range. I'm around there, yeah. I, I, well, I can't go any higher than I am right now because then I start to get, like, hissing, so... Yeah. I don't oh, yeah. Wanna... You found your noise floor. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. I think one of, of the things, yeah. One of the things about that is just simply the, the, the different styles of mics because the dynamics have no power being fed into them. Right. Yeah. They need a whole lot more gain to, uh, to get the noise that right. you want to out of them. But the software usually handles that. So, I mean, in, in Discord, I can turn my mic down to maybe 50%, and Discord will, I mean, yeah, Discord it will is... throw a ton of gain yeah. onto it. And same with Mumble. Mumble will throw mm-hmm. a lot of gain onto it. So, I mean, you know, for right. applications like this, it doesn't matter where your gain is for the most part as long as, you know, it's still audible. Right, yeah. Uh, Discord definitely um, normalizes the volume a lot because I, I didn't have any problems yesterday or Friday when we um, recorded uh, Crowbar Kernel Panic. But then when I was listening to the YouTube afterwards, I noticed that it was my my volume was way lower than Bose. So. Yeah, in a situation like that, what I do in OBS uh, to to do the streaming or whatever is I'll take that one in my mic input mm-hmm. and give it about an extra 10 dB. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, just like I said, dynamics, I mean, I, I peak it around negative six, right. where uh, in my normal speaking is anywhere between maybe negative 18, negative 24, something like that. So, I mean, as far as, you know, just raw output, it's not very loud, but, you know, you take care of that in post or you take care of that by pumping up the gain in software. Right, yeah. Yeah, he's... Uh, the, so I have separate volume lines, uh, for him and for me in OBS and he was cranked all the way up 
Um, and it didn't sound that low until I went back and listened to it. Yeah. Like when we were actually talking, it didn't sound that low. Yeah, well, when I when I crank it all the way up, it's not loud enough. Uh, that but that puts it at zero. I think you have to add an extra bit of gain to it in the in the advanced settings oh, in OBS. So it actually goes higher. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, you you can. You. Yeah, but yeah, turning it all the way up is not all the way. You have you, if you go in the advanced settings, you can throw an extra ten dB on it or whatever. Mm. Okay, that may yeah, be worth Yeah, that's doing. like I found with pulse audio. You have to get the um, what is it, pulse audio effects or something like that, and then you can go yeah. above a hundred percent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So the the facilities are there. You just have to dig and find them. Right. So, uh, well, that was me. So I guess Bo, you're next. Yeah, you're involved in a lot of mine because we uh, <laughs> we did a uh, crowbar kernel panic. Of course, I, the the thing I wanted to say about the the title of the podcast is that it sounds like whenever your cable provider gives you the password to the Wi-Fi they set up for you, it's like three random words that don't really go together. <laughs> oh yeah, like surfboard so building lunch. <laughs> Right, yeah, that's what Crowbar Colonel Panic sounds like. Um, but we did our first live stream, uh, which was a lot of fun because... Oh, yeah, uh, I forgot to mention that. Um, because of the arch challenge we're doing this week, I, I was missing a bunch of stuff. And so on the live stream, I was able to install a bunch of things that were required to do the live stream. So it's almost a tutorial on how to throw together a live stream in 10 minutes. But yeah, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed doing it live. And uh, I hope that we I hope that we keep doing it doing it live i'm having a lot of fun doing that show um but uh i think the next game that we're planning to do is going to be valheim which is like a really popular game right now on steam and it's a uh, linux native you can install it without having to run any sort of proton or anything like that um so i think we're going to pick that up and play it for a month and discuss it and um in order to do that i stood up a server on DigitalOcean. so i did that this morning and it was a really neat process. Um, I didn't realize that you could run Steam from uh, from a terminal. They have like a terminal version of Steam so that you can run it and run some commands and start up the uh, the Valheim, Valheim server. And up to 10 people can join that with um, Josh and I. We already have two people that's probably going to join it with us as well. But if anybody wants to jump on and play Valheim with us, that, that'd be awesome. Any of you guys want to or anybody listening, uh, we could do it to 10. So we'll slot it you know, first come first serve kind of deal. It's a game. It's like a game, like where you are like surviving. So like, you're like kind of in the wilderness. It's like a sort of like a Viking sort of setting. And, uh, you have to, you start out, you know, almost naked and you, you've just got sticks and things. And then you, you make weapons and you make like a, a house to live in. And like, you know, eventually you make a boat so that you can explore other islands. It's, it's that type of game. So it's like, um, it's like Minecraft plus rust plus Vikings. Yeah, that's actually a really good description. Yeah, Perfect it's got description, a... actually. Perfect. And, <laughs> and if you go to do.co slash crowbar kernel panic, you get nothing because that page doesn't exist. Yet. A <laughs> hundred dollar, a hundred dollar, uh, yeah, credit for This is our running jokes, people. Oh. <sighs> we <laughs> do so much advertising oh. on this show. Uh, can you do that? How much, how much do they pay you for that? No, they do. So just for having an account, you get like a, you get like a, uh, uh, what are they affiliate, uh, link or whatever, but I've never given it to anybody cause who would care, but yeah, maybe, maybe we should, maybe we're making a good argument for it. All right. <laughs> hey, well, yeah. Turn my joke into reality. Maybe, maybe. Money, I don't know money, if I can money. name it, uh, Crowbar Kernel Planet, <laughs> but yeah, so we're setting that up and, uh, I've have it, I have it listed publicly on the, uh, Valheim, uh, game. So if you download the game, there's a server called Crowheim. And that's the crowbar kernel panic uh, oh, that's, server. That's, that's perfect. 
um, I can't wait. As we play more games, I'll figure out more crow puns to put in there. Uh, just send me a message and I'll send you the password to join the game. Um, cause th- th- there is a password and there's so many servers. The game's so popular right now that it takes forever to load the thousands of servers that are out there. And these, so these survival games are the new hotness, man. Uh, dude, just any game huge. that comes out right now in, in the next now between the next now and six months, we'll probably just see a million people pop up on it, uh, over the first couple of weeks. Yeah, it really is. And you know, this is like the first one really for me. I mean, I've played a few of these like survival type games, but it was always like at a land party or something. Like I never played one and really invested in it. So like this is kind of a first for me, honestly. I think generationally I missed thing. it. Yeah, what a nerd. Believe it. <laughs> this isn't the nineties. I love land parties. I, I'm bringing them back, baby. But I actually found a YouTube channel the other day. It's uh the guy's name is Nerd on a Budget, and he's got a few land part vid- party videos. And in one of them they're wearing masks whenever they're getting things ready and they're like social distancing and stuff. And so I, I was like, hold up. Is this, is this like a recent video? And it turns out, yeah, land parties still go on. This guy's still out there doing it. So I'm sure after COVID drops, he'll be doing a lot more. We're bringing it back. It's coming back. I love them. They're so cool. Yeah. And uh, it's always had- much more fun to talk smack in person than it is from, you know, a hundred miles away. Dude, land, land parties were like, we're like the, my wife and I were like the land party couple, man. When we first got married, we had our house set up with like land cables under the rug. It didn't, everybody's wondering why we've got empty tables in our living room and stuff. I mean, we were like the land party house, man. I would love for that to come back seriously. Um, but now we, now we're older and we have a kid. So maybe it's less likely that I could convince her to still do it. <laughs> no, I never really did land parties. I did Starcraft cafes. Oh, really? So you went to like the, where they, they actually have like the cafe that you go to. The internet cafe is what they called them. Uh, actually, at the time, they were literally StarCraft cafes because it was 1999, 2000, and it was in South Korea. Oh, wow. Oh, PC Pong. That sounds and crazy. everybody was playing StarCraft. And yeah, I, I did sit down and try, but I got stomped. I, uh, Starcraft, the original Starcraft was a land party frequent, but the Starcraft, is it Starcraft two, whatever the new one is, um, that requires an internet connection. That was the land party killer right there. There's no telling how many copies of Starcraft are out there in existence just because people, you know, copied it for their buddies at land land parties. A buddy of mine 3d printed a dice tray for me. It's for, uh, I didn't talk about this in the last episode I was on. Did I? Um, it was a Star Trek Adventures dice tray. So, um, I play this RPG, Star Trek Adventures. It's, you know, it's like D&D, but for Star Trek. And, um, I've talked about it on the show before because I made a, uh, I made a GitLab project for where you could play it online. Um, but a friend of mine made, he 3D printed a, it looks like a, um, it looks like a Star Trek. It looks like a tricorder. And whenever you open it up, instead of it having the devices for the tricorder, it just has the cutout for the dice that's involved in playing the game. And I posted it on the Star Trek Adventures subreddit and it like blew up. It's like one of their, it's like one of their most popular posts on their subreddit. And people were like contacting my friend, like getting the files to install it and stuff. So then he set up a blog uh, describing how to make it and with all the instructions and stuff. Um, and so uh, I just want to say shout out to Graham for making the awesome 3D printed uh, dice tray. And you're like a Star Trek Adventures legend now. 
Um, so uh, that was really nice of him to do, and uh, I'm glad it blew up the way it did. It was really cool. <laughs> but that's really nice. all I've done for the last two weeks. So, uh, Mike, what about you? Well, over the last two weeks, I've been hard at work renovating Mint Studios, a.k.a. my basement. Ooh. <laughs> Catchy been, title. Uh, yeah, see, it sounds like way more professional than being surrounded by a bunch of furniture and mouse poop. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've been uh, kind of clearing out one room, making a space for myself, um, clearing out all the furniture, cleaning things off. I'm still currently embroiled in a blood feud with my Wi-Fi. I thought I finally had it fixed down here uh, by adding another piece to my mesh network. But apparently it's not very stable because I've already dropped my connection five times during this recording. So I think probably for next time I'm going to run an Ethernet cord from the uh, network piece down here directly into my laptop and see if that solidifies things for me. In addition to my, uh, to my cleaning up, I also got a new microphone. So if all of you at home are wondering why my voice sounds 22% more beautiful this time because I got the Samsung Q2U. Oh, I did another measurement on that. It's 26%. 26% 20, more beautiful. Wow. 26%, yeah. Oh, that's, that's huge, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I actually, I really like this uh, this microphone. It's really cool. It, uh, it's, it comes with pretty much everything that you need. It has a little tripod stand and comes with a windscreen. It has a uh, little headphone jack in the, in the bottom of the microphone that I can directly connect my headphones to. And, uh, yeah, I like it. So that's pretty cool. And to go along with that, I also got some new headphones. I've got a pair of, uh, the Sony WH-1000 XM3s. Those are the, uh, the over-the-ear studio-style, uh, Bluetooth headphones with active noise canceling. Um, it also comes with a wire, so I don't necessarily have to use it on Bluetooth, but I like that as well. I like, uh, being completely enveloped in silence while I'm recording. Not at all to do with the recording room, but I also picked up a new hardware wallet. I got a uh, Ledger Nano S from my Bitcoin and uh, set that up for the first time. I was previously using uh, just a software wallet. I was using uh, Electrum. I've been using that for the last two years or so and just finally got around to actually getting my hands on a hardware wallet. It's really cool. I had to do a little bit of, uh, a little bit of research on it. And uh, to get it working on Linux takes just one tiny line of code. It's very simple just adding drivers to, uh, to terminal. And uh, aside from that, the, uh, the only other thing I've been spending my time with uh, the last two weeks here has just been removing all of my information from the internet, or at least as much of it as I can get to. It's, uh, it's a semi-annual journey for me. I, I do it twice a year. You may think that removing your, internet or your information from the internet should be a once-in-a-lifetime thing, but nope, it keeps coming back over and over again. Well, you keep making the mistake of going on the internet, man. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> uh, it, for, the, for those of you out there who don't know exactly what I'm talking about, it's uh, if you do a, a Google search or a DuckDuckGo search for your name and your state, it's those websites that come up like PeopleFinder, MyLife, White Pages, things like that, that has all of your, your name, your date of birth, all of the addresses that you've lived at, all of your phone numbers. Uh, you can go through and you can actually get that deleted. It's a huge pain. It, each one takes... Mm, about 10 to 15 minutes or so. And there are a lot of, uh, a lot of sites out there that carry it. I usually devote, when I, when I decide to do this, I usually devote about two hours a day and it takes me most of a week to get it all done. And that takes care of that for, you know, like I said, about a few months at least. My Dell XPS 13 finally arrived last night. So after much anticipation and uh, delivery tracking refreshing all day yesterday, it finally arrived. 
Uh, although nice. the, the FedEx guy, yeah, it's it's awesome, and uh, I haven't spent too much time with it yet. I I've had it for less than twenty four hours, but already so far, it's it's the best laptop I've ever physically held in my hands in my life. I love the keyboard. The touchpad is incredible. It's it's the best touchpad I've ever used. Uh, the design is just outstanding. It's there are the lines on it and the screen literally goes edge to edge. It's it's incredible. I wasn't sure how it was going to arrive because when the FedEx guy pulled up yesterday, he came popping out of his truck, the little eighties metalhead singing Unskinny Bop by Poison to himself. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. I want he... I want this guy to deliver to me. You don't though, <laughs> because <laughs> I have two steps up to my porch. Just two small steps. He somehow fell up my steps. And in an effort to save himself from the horrible fall of two steps, he threw my laptop three feet up into the air, and I, I watched it, and then it came crashing down onto my porch. That's basically every delivery guy I have. Not the tripping thing, but every single one of them. They don't put the package down. They throw it. Yeah. How difficult is it to just pl gently place it, especially when you have a box that's clearly something electronic, because, I mean, it says Dell all over the box. You can't. Can't really mistake it for what it they is. They thought it was a box full of potatoes. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, uh, uh, he, he, was, he was a little embarrassed. I laughed at him because I felt like he deserved it. But uh, I took it inside. It seems okay. And uh, probably next week I'll have, or next, uh, next show, I'll have a, a more in-depth review of the XPS. But so far, so good. And uh, that's about all I have for my, my previous two weeks. All right. Well. If that's it for all of this stuff, then we'll head down to the news. And in the news, get ready for Kernel 5.11, everybody that's running on Linux Mint 20, right? 20. Yes, yes. I don't know how I don't remember what version of Linux Mint I'm on, but yeah. So uh, 2104 has... Uh, or, or on the um, the Ubuntu forum, they have confirmed that uh, the Linux kernel 5.11 is now going to shift with Hirsute Hippo. So that's 20, what is it? 2104. Yeah. Just version numbers aren't going to happen for me today, I think. <laughs> so uh, this is good for gamers, new hardware, all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, get yourself on one of those kernels. And ButterFS users. Ooh. On the uh, on the route. So, Leo, are you saying this upgrade will come into Mint 20.2? You will have the option to manually upgrade your kernel through the update software to 5.11 if you choose. No, it, it, <laughs> it will not automatically throw you up to that kernel unless you actually go and tell it to do so in Mint. In uh, in Ubuntu desktop, though, if you're running on one of the, uh, like, you know, Zubuntu, Kubuntu, Ubuntu, any of those, uh, it will throw you on automatically to the newer kernel uh, because all the desktops starting with 2004 uh, are automatically on the hardware enablement stack once the first one comes out unless you manually disable it. So Linux Mint folks, you got to get on that kernel manually. Ubuntu folks or derivatives, direct derivatives, um, I guess, what is that? Not spins, the other one. Flavors. Um, you will get 5.11 just as a matter of course. Uh, probably, it'll be a couple of months still, I think. But you will eventually just accidentally be on 5.11. Definitely good for anybody on new hardware. Josh said uh, ButterFS. Was there anything interesting in that, Josh? Did you pay attention to that at all? Yeah, it makes it easier to recover from um, if you're 
um, hard drive on the root has problems. Oh. You can recover easier. You can mount it easier um, so that you can get your data off of it to put a new disk in. Yeah, I've always been more interested in ButterFS on root than ZFS on root. And Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. We, we need a checkbox for that. It's yeah, because you, you can... Yeah, you do. You do. It's just a checkbox for ZFS on root, but yeah, we need one for ButterFS in Ubuntu, I think. So next up, LibreOffice 7.0.5. A hundred bug fixes. That's a lot of bugs. It's a lot of squashing. I'm a, I'm a bit surprised at this because I've been running an app image of 7.1. Oh, I, I think uh, 7.0.5 is the long-term support one, right? That's the one that, that uh... you want to get on and you'll stay on that for like ever. Until 8 comes out. <laughs> but yeah, 7.1 is the, um, if you're a little more brave, there will probably be more bugs and whatnot that, that you'll run into because uh, new features are getting added to that branch. Yeah, with sandboxing it in an app image, it makes it reasonably secure. Leo, you had to get a plug-in for brave, didn't uh, you? Uh, no, I don't do that. Why? <laughs> <laughs> what, what did I do? What was that a reference to? You just said you're brave running oh, 7.1. <laughs> got it. Yep. Nope. I'm I'm slow today. That's it's not happening. <laughs> but um yeah, I'm 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 curious uh what all these uh bugs that got squashed were. Uh, Mike, did you look into it at all? Yeah, I looked into it. Uh they didn't really go too in depth with the bugs, uh at least not that I could find. They did say that it uh it fixes bugs across all core components, so writer, spreadsheets and all that. A lot of what it does is address uh, important crashes. And uh, it also improves document compatibility with other popular formats. That, I think, is... I mean, one of these days, they'll get it right, right? And then that day, Microsoft will change it. <laughs> Most likely, yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's how it's but been the, forever. The, uh, Microsoft always sabotage it. Yeah. Oh, always. But uh, we can look forward to uh, the next version, 7.0.6, uh, around mid-May or so. Yeah, and I, th- I saw that was the the last maintenance update to seven the seven point zero series. And I, I, does that mean that we go to seven point one, or does that mean we go to eight? I think it's seven point one because oh, okay. they were talking. I think it will be because the um, app image. Oh, uh, got it. Okay, okay, that makes sense. That's the community edition. And something near and dear to our hearts, uh, especially if you like to be on the Flatpak train, Audacity three point zero is out. Uh, what what kind of new stuff should we expect in a new Audacity? You, Quick, don't know. you guys just slap these things in here, huh? <laughs> well, funnily enough, I saw I saw the announcement and I thought, oh, Endeavor based on Arch. So I went and installed Audacity. Still not there. Yeah, I thought that was the was really interesting because yeah, on Linux Mint, if you go to um, if you just use Flatpak or just open up Software Center and you go to Audacity, grab the Flatpak, it is 3.0. Uh, if yeah, oh. on Endeavor, I did install it or try to install uh, the newest version or do updates really uh, right before the show, and yeah, still on 2.4.2. So mm. uh, 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 Flatpak is newer than Arch. The main thing they're saying in the announcement is they've got a new format for project. Oh, yeah. like so you were talking the AUP that file. Oh, what what's different about it? I wonder. Oh yeah, they're calling it AUP three. Oh, that makes sense. So okay. Yeah, it's it's supposed to allow it to be easier to work with in some way, but I'm not sure of the details. And I think it's more compressible too. Yeah, I think one of the issues at the moment is when, you, when you're recording in uh, Audacity, it creates a folder with all the files in it 
outside of that folder is the .aup that reads that folder and all the contents in it. So it it slows down some of the um, recording and uh, saving steps. So I think now the AUP file will be the total file. That's cool. I think that's the way I read it anyway. That's cool. So um, one thing else, so, so they're also talking about the project size. So save projects with the new unified file structure should not be larger than similar projects with the old multiple file structure. As you work on a project, and this is one of my, my big complaints about it, is Audacity will consume additional temporary disk space. This is normally released on closing the project. And yeah, like um, as, I, as I get, you know, knee deep into a project, I will save and close so it'll give me back like 20 of my gigs of space. Because uh, if you're doing multiple people, I mean, uh, God bless him, Owen uh, in Audacity probably was dealing with like, you know, 50 gig uh, Audacity projects. So it looks like this might slim down a little bit. Um, but yeah, so, oh, no, no, no. It Actually, no, I, I take that back. It, they're saying it's not new. So that's weird. So they mark it and, and it's, it's just the same. So, okay, well, that's cool. But um, they're also saying that it, it should be a little bit faster as well, especially when you're applying effects and generators. Um, that's nice. Still be nice to have non-linear recording as well. Yeah. And editing. Well, I think you got to go to Ardour or Reaper or something like that for that, unfortunately. But uh, I have been playing around with Reaper a little bit. I did get the 30-day trial just to test it out and see what's going on. And um, nothing, is, nothing is named the same. And like the noise noise reducer thing... It's not called what you expect it to be called. It, it, does, it's, it doesn't say like noise reduction or something. Uh, I forget the name of it, but it was fur, F-I-R or something. Yeah, it's like refer. Yeah, refer. And I'm like, which sounds how like would refer. anybody ever know that? Uh, actually, yeah, you're right. It does. <laughs> how how every do you time know I that? Use it. Yeah, how would you know that? Uh, unless you went and dug it up. So yeah, yeah, I had to Google it. Yeah, but it actually works really well. I, I was very surprised and it takes no time at all. So um, I don't know. One of these days, I may be on Reaper or something like that. But uh, until now, un- until then, I mean, uh, Audacity is still my go-to. I did try out Audacity three, and for some reason, I cannot get audio playback to work. It's just static. So uh, I have. I've only tried it on one machine on my my main desktop where I'm streaming this show from. Uh, I installed Audacity earlier this morning. Uh, gave it a go. Recorded a little bit. And if I export it, I can hear it just fine. But if I try to play it back within Audacity, I, I can't. Like, it, it just comes back as static. So but at least for right now, the version of Audacity in the Flatpak repo, just I, I can't use it. It does not work for playback for me. So interesting. We should, we should give it a go. I'm not as versed on this subject as you or Owen, but um, I find that I enjoy using Reaper for recording music versus Audacity for recording podcasts. And that could just be the way that could just be my feelings about it. And it's not accurate. I don't know. Well, I think audacity is simpler, right? Like if you do Reaper, you have to like uh, create a new track, arm the track and then record and it will record. You can record multiple tracks and all that kind of fun stuff. Right. Right. Um, Audacity is just much simpler. You got one input. You're going to record that input. You press the record button. That's it. So yeah, I, I think if you're looking to do more than just a single track, then you're going to need more, more than Audacity can give you. Another thing is, is like if you have a multi-track USB interface, then Reaper can handle that. I don't know that Audacity can record multiple tracks at one time. 
I don't think so. Because if you're if you're playing or recording Audacity and you open up, I mean, the only way I can see to do that is to have two Audacities open. And if you open up yeah. a new Audacity, you can't do anything with it because the other Audacity has like right. a hold on the process or something. So, yeah, yeah, Reaper is the only way to do more than one track at a time. Well, I think our door Reaper is can one way. too. I think our, yes, our door yes, can. Yes, yes, And there's probably other ones that we're just not familiar with. Yeah. Yeah, and I think those are just the two big ones that get uh, that get talked about a lot uh, on the Linux side. I know you can use stuff like Olive and Caden Live and um, what's the other mm -hmm. one? Uh, DaVinci Resolve for doing this stuff and multi-track and all that stuff too. But yeah, I think Audacity is probably the simplest of the lot. And yeah, for, for folks that don't do audio, Audacity is at least understandable. Anyway, next up isn't really Linux, but it works on Linux. Uh, Telegram 2.7 was released last week and it gives us the ability to do multi-people. Okay, think Discord voice channels. You can do that in Telegram now. And you can also record insanely long voice um, tracks that you can just drop into a channel or something at any time. Yeah, is there any interest in that? I mean, so if you're listening right now and uh, you're, you're shrugging your shoulders about this, it's probably not for you. But, you know, if, if you have any interest in listening to a podcast, whether it be, you know, one minute or a hundred minutes in Telegram, uh, let us know, because, I mean, I've got the raw MP3 file. If I just need to chuck it in there or something like that, I guess I could do that. Um, or, you know, the things that we do outside of the show itself, I guess we could try and record that on Telegram or something. But, um, yeah, is there any interest in that? I'm, I'm kind of curious. I don't necessarily mind, but it's not my place to go for stuff like that. What do y'all think about the, the voice stuff in Telegram? Yeah, I would really want to know... I would really want to know the use case where that was more convenient than just listening to it on a podcatcher. Well, if you have a phone that doesn't have any storage and you don't want to go through YouTube because you get tired of the ads, then I could see how maybe. I mean, in that case, though, you could just go to the Mintcast website and just stream it from there. Right. That, or and, and I know a lot of podcatchers don't have to download the file. You can just exactly. stream it as well. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, Moss is the king well, of Telegram. Use, so what, what are your I, I've tried this, using Moss? the telephone aspects of it and not really gotten very good results out of it. So maybe it's better. I haven't tried it lately. I've gotten informed on the uh, updates and whatnot, but you know, we don't. I've only used it like uh, when I know my wife is on her phone and and let's try getting through to her. And that's actually not working as easily now as it used to. Yeah, I know some devices will allow you. So like the the audio interface that I've got, uh, I know that you can plug that into, at the very least, Apple devices, uh, mobile, laptops, you know, everything, right? Um, and use it as I'm using it right now on Linux. So, you know, I guess as far as audio quality goes or something like that, it, it really depends on your equipment. If you're doing it straight from your phone, then, you know, quality may vary. But, um, you know, using an audio device like this, maybe maybe that will clean up. Some of that. Yeah, I've gotten to the point where uh, if someone's leaving a voice message, I ask them to do text because I frequently don't have a situation where I can listen to everything voice, whereas I can always glance at the screen and read it. Yeah, yeah. I don't always have headphones on me. So, yeah, that, that can get um, just, I don't know, it's an interesting situation, I guess you could say. Anyway, interesting nonetheless, if you, if you want to hear a Telegram podcast, uh, I, we could probably do something like that. But uh, let us know. Let us know what you think. And next up, uh, Calamaris supports configurable setups in ButterFS volumes. Josh, why do I want this? What is this? <laughs> I like ButterFS. I just don't know what it is. I don't know. I don't know why I would want something like this. I'm, I'm not even a hundred percent sure exactly 
um, what this is, but I know that the what I read was um, the default right now is they hard code the ButterFS um, options into the install when they do it right now. And with this support, they're going to be able to change them in the mount.config file. But I'm not 100% sure what the difference between the mount.config file and um, the FS tab is. Like, I don't know what, like, I'm trying to figure out what the difference between those is as far as ButterFS goes. Well, until Clem gives us ButterFS to play with, it's going to be hard to talk about on this show. Yeah, well, he didn't... um... He has sidestepped the ZFS on root as well, so I don't know. Oh, the I Butter think FS Butter maybe way for the route. Come a lot farther yeah. than ZFS has. Well, it's certainly in the kernel. It would probably be easier to implement, but yeah, um, it would definitely yeah, be I mean, easier. I don't know about how far it's come. It's it's probably about the same, I'd say, because ZFS has come. Well, of a course, long nobody wants to do Linux. RAID five or RAID six, but yeah. nobody knows how to do RAID five or RAID six anyhow. I don't think there's really that good of an application for that. I mean, if you're really strapped for cash and all you have is three dip drives, I guess that would be okay. But I mean, otherwise you should just do RAID, uh, RAID one or RAID ten. I mean, that's just really what you should do anyway, even with ZFS. I just don't have a use case that requires me to have uptime like that at home. At work, I get it, right? I mean, RAID six or RAID ten or something like that. But at home. Man, yeah, number one, I don't have the cash to keep buying discs. I don't have that many discs in the first place. And, you know, adding them into a RAID and there's a lot of writing for, um, I guess in, in RAID 6, there's a lot of parody writing, things like that. So I don't know. I just I just don't have the use case for it. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to, to know if, like, when you install OpenSUSE, you can actually select up to, I think it's up to three discs, and it'll put them in RAID 0 for your root um, file system. I'm I'm kind of curious to see if that's what this is kind of talking about. Like maybe you can like configure it down to how many disks you want on your root file system and all this stuff. Like I don't 100% know because I didn't really read into this a whole lot. Yeah, That'd interesting cool nonetheless. Yeah, just uh, Calamars has better ButterFS support, which is really cool. I like that. Welcome to episode 357 of The Blind Leading the Blind. <laughs> <laughs> really? Hey, but but this next one uh, I know about, and it is 7-zip. Is official on Linux. There's never been an actual official installation of 7-Zip on Linux. It's always been a port. So there was somebody else that was taking Igor Pavlov's code and making it work on Linux. And that is, um, you can really tell that it was like that. Because I think in Linux, we're still on version 16, which was released in 2016. And it just (laughs) hasn't changed since then. And yeah, so I mean, you're not getting any of the new fancy features in 17 or 18 or 19 or 20 that have come out in the in you know year over year. Um, but finally, uh, Mr. Pavlov himself has decided to port 7-Zip over to Linux, so we can actually get first-class citizen support. So number one, go test it. Go test it. Go test it. Go Did test it. Did his dog have anything to do with that? I don't think so. There were no bells involved and no salivating, as far as I know. But, I mean, I don't know. We're looking at, um, what did he say, something like a 20% increase in performance. I mean, I salivate over that. That's my bell right there. But uh, Igor says it. (laughs) Igor says it's his first version of his port to 7-Zip to Linux. So it's official. That port of 7-Zip is similar to P7-Zip, but it's not identical. Please write here about any bugs. So this is the uh, SourceForge link that I'll have in the show notes. And... 
uh, if you're going to be installing it alongside P7-Zip. Uh, the, the command for 7-Zip is 7-Z. So the command for the new 7-Zip when you're installing it alongside is 7-Z-Z. So be aware uh, that's, that's going to be uh, a difference for a little while. Um, I imagine it will eventually just be 7-Z. But, you know, I, I, I couldn't tell you. I don't know. We'll see. But either way, uh, that since, uh, since early March, that uh, SourceForge forum has been pretty busy with, uh, with bugs and things that need to change and all that kind of stuff. So this is good. I'm really excited to see this uh, come out in, I don't know, probably the new Ubuntu LTS. Uh, maybe that'll be enough time for it to get into, I don't know, where, where do you put something like that? Multiverse, maybe? Yeah, this is exciting. I'm looking for the performance increases. How do you increases. get it cur great. currently, right now? You have to download a deb? I think you got to compile it for yourself. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So, I mean, Arch probably has it. Probably. Hey, I wonder. You know, okay. Well, while somebody else is talking, I might go check. <laughs> That's interesting. So, anyway. Uh, yeah. So, increase in performance. And, I, and, and it's official. It's official now. That is fantastic. And then a couple of notes, unless, uh, unless you folks want to talk about it, there are just a couple of uh, blogs about Mint that have happened. Uh, so if you're curious, you can go in and read these. If, uh, if you guys here on the show want to talk about it, we can. But there are a couple of articles. One is, is Mint 20 better than Ubuntu and Windows? And yeah, that does kind of read like a, uh, a, someone that really loves Mint. <laughs> and then Yes, and of course. Yeah. And then there's another one, uh, just a comparison between Cinnamon and Mate and XFCE. Does not so, clear yeah, a I don't, I don't single think that thing up. I read that article and it didn't, there really weren't any pros or cons. It was just this works and this works and this works and this works and you just, you know, pick one. Well, of course, if, if you want to do yeah, what Clem would want you to do, get Cinnamon. But otherwise, you know, they, they're the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah do what you I like. I always do what Clem wants me to do. That's right. <laughs> This is, I think that particular article is for folks that don't know the difference. So this is just a, you know, a listing of the differences between them. And then you can make your own decision on how you like but it. But it doesn't help anyone make a choice. No, but it's not supposed to. It's, it's just, it lays out the differences. That's, that's really it. That's it. It does not tell you which one to choose. It does not tell you which one's better for which use case. It just says, here are the things that this does. That's it. <laughs> if you want someone to choose one for you, Moss, I'll do it. Just go cinnamon. I'm sure yeah, Mate is the right answer. Cinnamon and is always I, the answer. I'm sure there are other guys on the team here that will agree with me. <laughs> Obviously not Leo, or but yeah. Or Mike, or, or Bo, or Josh. Yeah, or cinnamon, <laughs> cinnamon all the way. No. Uh, are you exercising your anyway, demons again? No, I disagree uh, I with that one. That's it. That's exactly what I'm doing. You guys no longer sound like demons to me. Hey, something fix fixed? All right. <laughs> All right, cool. So uh, that'll do it for the news. Let's head down to the security update. All right, Mike, scare the bejesus out of me. Oh, wait, this isn't a scary one. Okay, no. don't, don't scare me then. We'll, we'll scare you in a minute. This is wicked cool, as we would say here in New England. So the Linux Foundation announces a new project that's going to be called the SIG Store. So the Linux Foundation is going to team up with Red Hat, Google, yuck, and Purdue University in developing this new project. The uh, SIG store is going to improve the security of the software supply chain by finally enabling developers to cryptographically sign their so uh, software artifacts, such as the binaries, release notes, and conta uh, container images. The, uh, the signing records are going to be stored in a tamper-proof public log. 
And this all comes as a response to the SolarWinds hack, which uh, allowed distributed software to be tampered with. I think it was uh, just last year or just a few months ago. Yes, that th- that was actually. So as I was starting to read this article, I was like, "This is this is definitely because of that." Because the SolarWinds hack is still going on. We are still learning the reach of that particular hack, and right. it is bad. And every new detail that we learn about it makes it exponentially worse. Microsoft. Yeah. Yeah. As I was just going to say, even, even Microsoft had like half of their, of their source code lifted in this. Yep. And they, they were, um, so apparently somebody had, was able to lift, uh, because of this. Well, actually, so we, we don't know yet, but we're thinking that maybe part of the SolarWinds hack is, uh, they have some proof of concept, uh, code that was able to knock over email servers. And they were wondering whether or not that was part of the SolarWinds thing. It doesn't necessarily look like it, but I mean, it could be. Yeah, and this uh, this would be this would be good because as things stand right now, very few open source projects are currently cryptographically signing their software just due to challenges with key management. So this new SigStore project is going to make things so much easier on on developers too, and and getting that done. So it's a win win for everybody. As long as you keep those keys safe, right? Always. Always have to keep those keys safe. <laughs> you know what's going to happen is, um, and I mean, you know, it could happen to anybody. It's just one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, it turns out we had lost our key a year and a half ago. <laughs> so every single package was was not necessarily compromised, but, you know, it could have been, could have been, had no idea. <laughs> but this is really cool. I mean, anything that can help up the uh, the ability for 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 a group of programmers to say, yes. This code is our code. We can guarantee it because we signed it with our key and you can verify it by, you know, doing this publicly available thing um, is, is always good. It's a step in the right direction. And the more of this that we see, the more of this that we do, thanks to Linux Foundation, I think the, the better off we're all going to be. Yeah, this, and this will be good for the open source community too because a lot of projects just simply don't have the money to, to take on something like this without help. So... So yeah, like I said, this will be a win-win for the users. It'll be great for the developers and looks good for the Linux Foundation as well. Yep, absolutely. All right, now you can scare the pants off me. What? what I think is I posted this? that one. Get your text. Um, okay, Vice.com okay, scare the reports out of me. a hacker got all my texts for $16. A gaping flaw in SMS lets hackers take over phone numbers in minutes by simply paying a company to reroute text messages. Yeah, and this is something that I think, you know, we've we've seen a version of this in the past. Um where it, it was it was actually a little dip, a little more difficult, right? I mean, you called into Verizon or AT&T or whatever your phone carrier is and you say, "Oh no, I forgot my information, but here's my phone number. Can you can you help me? I need uh, I need a new SIM." And I mean, right. And then you do this weird SIM swap thing, you social engineer this this person uh at at the company to swap some things around and all of a sudden you're receiving text messages that are not yours. And if you do password resets, this by the way is the whole reason why you don't want the text of the SMS version of um, when you do two-factor authentication. Yep. This is the exact reason that you do not want to do this. And it's because someone can, can basically just do a weird SIM swap 
and start getting those. And so they'll they'll log into your account, obviously with the wrong password and say, do you want to reset? And then you reset and then they send you the SMS code and all this other kind of fun stuff. It gets and worse. Y- you lose. You Once lose the Once the hacker game. is able to reroute a target's text messages, okay. oh, it can ooh. then be trivial to hack into other accounts associated with that phone number. And this... In this case, the hacker sent login requests to Bumble, WhatsApp, and Postmates and easily accessed right, the account. that's accounts. what I mean. Like, you do the same thing. It's child's play at that point. That's it's... exactly what I'm describing. Exactly. Yes. And this is, this is why I'm as protective over my telephone number as I am over my social security number. As a matter of fact, outside of myself and my, my cell phone carrier, nobody else in, on earth has my phone number because I don't use it or give it out at all. I have a, a separate burner app on my phone, and uh, I had that generate a phone number for me that I've used for about two years. And for all intents and purposes, that's my actual phone number at this point. Google Voice wow, You can numbers. dodge a lot of the spam phone calls that way. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's the idea. So, you know, th- this is something that I've been saying for a very, very long time. Because there are people out there that, that legitimately think that, oh, I'm so unimportant, you know, that there's no reason anybody would want to hack me or something like that. I, I think it's silly when people say they aren't interesting or have nothing to hide. That one's the worst one. That, that one breaks my brain. I have nothing to hide. Yes, you do. The, but everything things, to protect. It, but you do have something to hide, though. You have your any kind of government-issued ID number that is supposed to be at least pseudo-private. You, um, anything, right? Your bank account number, your routing numbers, any, your credit card numbers, all of this stuff, right? You do have something to hide. If you didn't, why don't you just take your credit card and just hand it to a random person and be like, hey, whatever, there you go. I ain't got nothing to hide. You do. And, you know, and if you think you're just plain unlikely to be hacked because you're not whatever, I, I don't know. This article is precisely for those reasons you might have already been hacked. Because it cost it cost the vice guy sixteen dollars, and you can do all of these things that we said. Your life, your whole online life, is worth sixteen dollars, and that includes your bank, and that includes your Facebook and WhatsApp and everything else. So sixteen dollars—that's what you're worth. <laughs> that's how much it costs. I had a friend who who thought exactly like this. Who just like you said, I have nothing to hide. I don't care about any of this. If they want my information, they can have it. And I was able to shut him down just simply by saying, what's your phone passcode? Give me your phone passcode. Give me your email password. I'm going to write them down. And sporadically, I'm just going to log in, read through all your stuff, take a look at what you've been doing. If you have nothing to hide, it shouldn't be a big deal, right? And that immediately, oh, I'm not giving you that information. Well, why? You, you have nothing to hide. Exactly. Go ahead and take off the curtains or blinds that you have in your house as well. Right, right. <laughs> Jeez, man. <laughs> Everything to hide. Everything to hide. It doesn't make you a criminal for even thinking that. Just, it's your stuff. Take care of your stuff. Joe, ask Joe. What are we asking Joe? Yeah, um, well, I'm kind of going off the hip here. I wanted to bring this up, but I didn't write anything out on it. Um, I have a friend whose parents just the other day... Joe, is this friend you? No. (laughs) Um, I know a guy. (laughs) All right. A a friend whose parents got caught up in in another um, team viewer scam. So, you know, somebody called them, hey, there's an issue. We need you to log into such and such. Or or no, I think this one was uh, Amazon wants to give you money one. So they did that. They used team viewer, logged into the bank account, got all their money. And then, you know, my friend, he's a very techie individual. He spent like 48 hours trying to clean all that up, you know, get their accounts locked back down, get the computer back working again, because on the way out, this guy just, you know, wrecked their computer as well. 
And, and I, I just want to say to everybody out there, because this also happened to my in-laws, got caught in basically the same thing. I, I don't think it was a TeamViewer one. I think it was a Microsoft Update one or something. If you have non-techie friends or older friends, anybody you care about really that might get caught up in something like this, tell them that if anybody they don't know asks them to install TeamViewer over the phone, immediately hang up. It's, it's, yeah, seriously. There, there's, there's no reason to talk to somebody that called you and starts telling you to do random things on your computer or to give them information or anything like that. So, I mean, yeah, that's well, fantastic with advice. It, with a lot of it, you can't give people, okay, if this happens, if this happens, if this, a big long list of things, don't do it, you know, because then they're never going to remember all that. Yeah. Give them one thing. Tell them, if they tell you to install TeamViewer, immediately hang up. This is well, this is I, what I, think, I, no, oh, go I was gonna say. This is what I tell everyone to do. If somebody calls you and says to do something, immediately hang up and call that place back right. and exactly. see what they if they are actually who they are. And ninety nine percent of the time, it's not going to be. Yeah, yeah if exactly. My, exactly. If my bank suddenly has an issue and you know calls me and tells me something, I'm going to say okay, but I'm gonna hang up and I'm gonna call the bank back because I don't trust incoming phone calls. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. What, what, that's, that's describing a firewall, man. That's how you should be doing it. Deny all. <laughs> and then selectively whitelist. Yep, absolutely. When I worked at Geek Squad, uh, it's been more than six years ago now, but um, yeah, people would come in and they had, you know, given these people like thousands of dollars in some cases um, just because they were able to convince them that... I remember one case was, uh, it was the fake Microsoft people calling... Uh, something wrong with your computer. We need to take a look at it kind of deal. And then they ended up making it look like they had her pay for their service, which was like $200 or something. But then they showed her something that made it look like they had taken too much money account money out and they needed to um, refund her. And then through that process, they were able to steal her bank account information and still like $2,000. Um, so it's team a, viewer or something like that on her computer and then have her log into her bank to get these yeah. numbers and they're staring at it and they've got a key logger on their team viewer that's taking all the information at the same time or they just take control and immediately send all the money that's in the account to wherever another another thing i know we got to move on from this but another thing i, I remember is um when i worked at best buy some of the products whenever you would um whenever you would buy them they'd get the setup process they tell you to go to like a website right and uh, and Bing at the time, most computers had had Bing as their default search engine because they had Internet Explorer as their default browser. And so Bing, whenever you typed in an uh, address, it would actually just do a search for that address um, instead of actually going to it. So in the title bar of Internet Explorer, it would do a Bing search instead of actually navigating to that location. And there was some of these scam call centers that had like SEO'd their um, website to come up as part of that Bing search. And so people thought they were doing the right thing by following the directions in whatever product they had bought, but really they had just done a Bing search for that. And they, you know, that's how they navigated their way to some fishy website. Man. Yep. They're out to get you, man. <laughs> Trust they, nobody. They, they really are. And, and, <laughs> and it's totally, and these are the people uh, that, that, that won't heed that advice of the people that aren't interesting or I've got nothing to hide. So that, this is to you. This is to you, person that thinks they have nothing to hide. You have everything to hide. <laughs> All right. So that'll do it for our uh, scare the pants off you section. The last 
ever have one announcement, except for today. And today, the announcement is Ubuntu 21.04 testing week is coming up. Starts on April 1st. So, if you are interested in testing out that new kernel, or testing out that new software, or testing out anything that will eventually, at least in some ways, flow down to Linux Mint, because the bits that are in 21.04 are going to, I mean, not, not the version numbers, but that version of Ubuntu affects 22.04 in some ways. So 22.04 is what Linux Mint will be based on uh, in a year or so. Really? They're starting it on April Fool's Day? You can help shape Linux Mint and Ubuntu's future. So They could what? at least have announced it was uh, testing they for 23.04. They are. They absolutely you know? are. Because why not, right? Yeah. They're going to get so many joke things. <laughs> So uh, thanks to Yusuf Phillips for letting us know about that one. Anyway, our next episode will be at 2 p.m. Central U.S. time on April 4th, 2021. Click on the link in the show notes to get that time converted to your local time. Yay! And it'll be back to normal UK Yay. time of 8 oh, p.m. See, Tony, you should have... <laughs> All right, so uh, that'll do it for the show. So, Joe, where can we get more of you? Well, you can catch me on a couple of my other shows. I'm on the Linux Link Tech Show, and that's at uh, www.tllts.org. I'm on the Linux Lugcast, www.linuxlugcast.com. You can find me on MeWe, or you can send me an email, jb at mintcast.org. Bo, what about you? I just want to encourage people to check out Josh and I's new show um, about Linux gaming, Crowbar Kernel Panic. I've gotten through the first two. First episode was great. I listened. Yep, number two is queued up for me too. Really appreciate it. Oh, you're gonna love. You're gonna love number two. And there's only two, so you're caught up. Yeah, you're all caught up. I really appreciate that, guys. Moss, what about you? Well, you can find me at It's Moss, the website, MeWe, several blogs, my music's on Bandcamp and on various YouTube channels. I'm on Mastodon at Zyvla at hosttux.social. You can email me at zyvlananda at protonmail.ch. I have a sponsor that is going great guns. I am appreciating all the help I'm getting. And there are links to all those things in the show notes. There are a lot more links than there are words sometimes. Tony, what about you? You can find me on Hacker Public Radio. I'm host ID 338. I've got my occasional blog, which uh, isn't very occasional at the moment because I haven't done anything for ages. But it's uh, tony Hughes at blogspot.com. I'm on Twitter at TonyH1212. I'm on I'm TH at Mintcast.org for email and DistroHoppersDigest at gmail.com. And Tony Watts, here, Tony Watts is not here this time, but you can get him at TW at Mintcast.org or just search him up, Echoes of Savages. Josh, what about you? Uh, you can check me and Bo out on um, Crowbar Kernel Panic, like he mentioned. Uh, you can also email me at... Um, Josh on tech at mintcast.org. I think I'm not sure if that works yet, but hopefully um, you can also find me at Josh on tech on Twitter and pretty much everywhere else. Mike, what about you? You can email me at grouchy M at PM.me or like I was saying last episode, feel free to hit me up on discord at grouchy M. I'm always happy to completely stop doing my work and chat with people. <laughs> Do that too much, man. <laughs> As for me, LeoChavez.org and at LeoChavez on Twitter, 
at Leo at C.im on Mastodon. Linux user space show is another show that I do and full circle weekly news as well. But before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. Owen Peary for our audio editing. Josh Lowe for all his work on the website. Hobstar for our logo. And Londoner for our time sync. Bytemark Hosting for hosting Mintcast.org and our Mumble server. Archive.org for hosting our audio files. HPR for our backup Mumble room. And of course, the Linux Mint development team for the fine distro we love to talk about every fortnight. Thanks, Clem. Thanks, Clem. Thanks, Clem. This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter, at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music. And thanks for listening to this episode of The Midcast. And that's it. It's over. Yay! <laughs> Must be our longest episode uh, ever. Not <laughs> even close. Not not even. No, this isn't even close uh-uh. to our longest one. No, we, we've gone over three and a half hours four before. Four-hour shows. Yeah. yeah. That's why we started dividing the shows into two bits. I'm starting to get a little concerned about my battery. Stopping now. I'm stopping mine now.